0: All right, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Drew, and I am the lead pastor of Salt City Church, and it's my privilege to get to come here about once a semester and teach the Bible to you guys. So something that's marked my life for the past about 20 years is I just love college students. And so at first, I loved college students as a college student, and then I became a college pastor, and this is the way I felt each time I spoke to college students as a college pastor, I felt like I was one of you. And then I got a little bit older, like in my late 20s, and I was like, I know that I'm not one of you, but I'm still trying to be one of you. And now the stage of life I'm in is I could be your dad. (laughs) So I have a 13-year-old daughter, 38 years old, and when the barber cuts my hair, I'm like, whose hair just fell into my lap? It's all gray. What's going on? So I'm here, but the, the advantage of the position that I'm in now in speaking to you guys is I've lived a little bit of life, and with life experience comes a lot of failure, and with failure comes wisdom. And one of the things that God's taught me over the years is how to deal with my fear. So I don't know about you, but for as long as I can remember, just temperamentally, I have been a person who has struggled with fear. So I remember, as a little kid, starting to watch war movies with my dad. I don't know why my dad was showing me war movies when I was 8, 9, 10 years old, but for whatever reason, he was. And I remember in one of those movies learning that it was possible that a person who did not want to fight in a war could get drafted into a war. And so I remember asking my dad, is it possible that when I'm 18, 19, 20 years old, that I could also get drafted into a war? And I come from a family of straight shooters, and so my dad just looks at me and is like, yes. Is a possibility. So I remember laying in bed and thinking, I am going to die. <laughs> like I vividly was just playing this out in my mind. It's like, which foreign battlefield am I going to die on? I don't know, but it's going to be one of them. And so the question that I have for us tonight is how do we deal with the various fears that we experience in our hearts as Christians. And the answer that the Bible gives is a little bit counterintuitive. It's that our hope in Jesus will outlast our fears. It's not that what you fear won't happen. It's that there's something greater than your greatest fear. So let me start you off with the bad news. The bad news is this, the legitimacy of your fears. The reason that we fear things is because they can happen. Psalm 27, verses 1 through 3. So we're taking a break from Philippians. We're looking at Psalm 27 tonight. It says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Okay, so the passage starts off with what I would call victorious Christianity. The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? And you think that the answer is gonna be, there's nothing to fear. But then King David, this mighty warrior for God, has an honest moment with us. And he tells us what his greatest fears are. And I begin to relate to him here because they have to do with war. And he imagines being captive to a cannibalistic army. That is his greatest fear. Like, I'm going to be fighting in a war. I'm going to be taken as a prisoner of war. And then he imagines what will happen. They will assail me to eat up my flesh. And then he shares another part of that fear. He thinks of an army encamping against him. He thinks of war arising against him. So here's what King David does. He's saying, I will be confident that the Lord is my light and my salvation, not because he will preserve prevent the bad things from happening in my life. But he's giving us an even-if scenario. He's saying, I've already considered the worst-case scenario. And even if the worst-case scenario happens in my life, I will still be confident. Here's what I'd like you to do with me tonight. Some of you have suffered very deeply, and I don't want to diminish that, but my guess is most of you have not. And for those of you who have not, I do not want you to be a person who doesn't consider your greatest fears. I think that it is wise at your age for you to think about your possible future and not just the good things, not just graduating from college and getting married and landing your dream job and living in a beautiful house with 2.5 kids and a picket fence But I want you to think about the worst possible things that could happen to you. Because in a room this size, it is almost guaranteed that what just flashed through your mind will happen to someone. And when you are suffering is not the time to develop your theology of suffering You have to decide right now what you're going to do. And David is saying, even if the worst thing happens to me, I will not lose my faith. It is in that moment that I will cling to King Jesus. Guys, one of my worst fears in life was that I would lose a child. I remember, as a kid, I was the rare boy who would walk into a room, and when there were babies, I wanted to hold them. I've always loved kids. I always wanted to be a dad. And I have five beautiful kids that I get to see every day that run up to me And hug me and call me daddy. But do you guys know that right now, the last sentence out of my mouth should have been, I have six beautiful kids who run toward me and call me daddy. Because when my wife and I moved to plant Salt City Church in 2017, my wife was pregnant with our sixth child, Jude. And he had one of two congenital heart defects that are not detectable in utero. So he was born with a defective heart. He lived at Children's Hospital in Minneapolis for five months and 11 days. And then I saw my son die. Do you know what? It didn't wreck my faith. Do you know why? Because when I was your age, I knew what I was going to do. And do you know what I did? I laid on my face in my bedroom. And I said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. He is the stronghold of my life. Not my child, not my wife, not my job, not my money, the Lord. And I'm starting to share with you the other way that you prepare your heart for this moment of terror that may be coming in your life. I'm calling that the anecdote to your fears. So there's the negative side of it got to think about it. You got to dwell on it. You got to decide beforehand what you're going to do. Here's the anecdote. Here's the positive side. David says, one thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. So David says, not only have I considered my fears, I've also centered my heart on one thing. The antidote to your fears is to center your heart on one thing. Now, how would you genuinely end that prayer? One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after. Is the one thing a happy, romantic relationship that ends in happily ever after? Is the one thing your dream job where you make a ton of money? Is the one thing that you will have a family with beautiful children? is the one thing that you'll be able to travel all over the entire world and see the most beautiful places. Is the one thing even related to ministry that God would use your life in a powerful way to impact other people? Here's what I will say to you. If you do not end that sentence in the same way that King David did, You will live your entire life fearing that you will lose whatever you filled in the blank with. Here's why. You can lose it. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And so David invites us to center our lives on what can never be lost. There is something that can never be lost. There's something that can never be taken away from you. And that thing is not a thing, it's a person. It's the very face of God. And that person is an all-satisfying person. To know him truly is to love him dearly. David says that you can have a type of relationship with God that's not just this religious thing where you go through the motions and you show up a couple times a month at an event like this, but it's the type of relationship where you are gazing at him. I've only gazed at one person in my life, my wife, Melissa. Do you know why I gaze at my wife, Melissa? I love her. I do. But there's a certain period where that love is electric. And I still remember when we were first dating. So my wife's four years older than me. So I was just so surprised that she said yes when I asked her out that I was like in love on the first. Like I dropped her off after the first date. And I said out loud in my car, I am going to marry that girl. And it's like every time she walked in the room. I just wh- whoever was talking to me went from getting 100% of my attention to 0% of my attention. So I'm like, I love that girl. She is amazing. No one had to tell me, gaze at Melissa. It came out of my very being. And King David says, he has this relationship with God where he is sitting on a battlefield. An army is encamping against him. His greatest fear is coming to fruition. And God is meeting him there. He's not asking to win the war. He's asking to see the face of God. And what you realize when you suffer deeply and you turn your face toward God's face rather than turning away from him, is you realize that the suffering was worth it because it brought you to your greatest joy. See, the reason that God allows suffering in our lives is because he wants us to experience him. He wants you to know him. Because you will never be satisfied by the things of this world. We've all experienced this. We get that thing that we want. We even get that relationship that we want. And we are still craving. We are still left unsatisfied. The great theologian Augustine said, I was restless until I found my rest in him. The anecdote to our fears is to find our rest in him. The Psalms say in another place, as another person gazes at the beauty of the Lord, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. See, to fear the Lord is to fear that we would lose his love. And the psalmist says, if you fear to lose his love, you will never lose it because it cannot be lost. So I'm begging you to change your fear. That your fear would not be to lose what is dear to you on this earth, but your fear would be to lose your relationship with God. And then you will be in a place of confidence. Okay, so we've talked about the legitimacy of our fears. We've talked about the anecdote to our fears. Here's the really good news. There is a place where there is no fear because there is no loss anymore the end of all your fears. Look at Psalm 27, 12 through 14. David prays, give me not up to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So in this passage, there's a temporary prayer and there's an eternal hope. In this moment, it is right for us to pray that our suffering will be relieved. God loves to answer that prayer often with a yes. And so if you are suffering, you are not just supposed to say, thank you, Jesus, I'm glad this has brought me into closer relationship with you. You're supposed to also pray, take it away. And that's what David does. He says, give me not up to the will of my adversaries. Basically, take me out of this really hard situation. But then it seems to be almost like a non sequitur. It's like he's talking about that. He's praying that. And then he completely changes the subject. And he says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Here's what David knows. God hears him, and God will relieve some of his temporary pain. But by definition, this world is painful, and it is not part of God's plan to remove all your pain when you are on this earth. And so he describes This earth, as the land of death, this is a place of death. There's a 100% chance that you'll die if Jesus doesn't come back during your lifetime. Maybe some of you thought of that when I asked the question, what is your greatest fear? And we all know that if that's our greatest fear, that that will happen to us. Because we live in the land of death. And so David is saying, I've transferred my trust from this place of death to a place of life. And he's inviting us with him to believe that there is a place that exists called the land of the living. And here's what you're going to see in the land of the living. You're going to see God face to face. And everything that you feared now that will happen later will be reversed. I think if we could stand in the land of the living right now and look back at our lives, we would not want to suffer less. We would want to suffer more. Here's why: because the luckiest person in heaven is going to be the person who was blind on Earth, and the first face they see is the face of Jesus. Here's what you're going to see in heaven. I always imagine a line. Do you guys imagine a line? In heaven? I don't think the Bible talks about a line, but let's just imagine there is a line, okay? We're standing in line. And let's say I'm right in front of you in line. And we're going into heaven. Surely by the grace of of Jesus, none of us deserve to be there. And So Jesus asked me, why should I let you in? I said, you shouldn't. I'm a huge sinner. But you died for me. He's like, ding, ding, ding. You're in. And so then, I don't think it works like that either, by the way. (laughs) What if there was a ding, ding, ding? Then there would have to be a buzzer as well, which... Let's not talk about that either. Okay, here's, here's the thing. And I think then what will happen is he'll give me a huge hug, and I'll just weep. Like, this is what I was made for. Like, I believe this was true, and the Apostle Paul says, like, now we see in a mirror darkly, but then we'll see face-to-face, and I'll just be experiencing him face-to-face and be totally satisfied in his presence, And then I think he's going to do something like this. Hey, Drew, I have somebody that I want to introduce you to. And he's going to grab me by the hand. And he's going to walk me over to my son, Jude. And he's going to say, Drew, this is why you lost him. Because to lose him, and have that whole thing reversed in this moment is better than to have never lost him at all. And I'm going to be like, you are so right. This is amazing. This is incredible. And every person in the line is going to have that exact same experience with their greatest fear and their greatest loss and their greatest pain. It's it's not just that it's going to be forgotten, it's that it's going to be reversed. And you are going to be in that place, the land of the living, forever. No more loss, no more pain, no more tears. So here's what David said. We should do now. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Some of you are experiencing deep suffering right now. This isn't a message for the future for you. This is a message for right now for you. And you feel like you can't do it anymore. Like this was like a last-ditch effort for you, just even coming here. You're about to give it up. What does waiting look like? A wise pastor, much older than me in his 70s, named Ray Orlin, said this about waiting for the Lord. We don't like patient waiting. Amazon Prime is counting us on being impatient. But it is those who wait on the Lord who renew their strength. The medieval rabbi David Kimchi explained that the Hebrew word wait suggests stretching, lengthening, extending. So waiting on the Lord is not like resting in a hammock with a glass of iced tea. It's like holding a plank position until our coach tells us we're done. But that place of unresolved tension is spiritually creative And surprisingly refreshing. Our strength is renewed. So we fight on. And we will prevail. Because the Lord will come through for us. If you wait on the Lord. You will renew your strength. In this life. That's a promise for you. And so I'm saying cling to him. Hold the plank position in prayer, in scripture. Keep on coming to Salt Company. Keep on coming to church. Keep on reading the Bible. Keep on confessing your sins. Keep on asking other people to pray for you and wait for the Lord and you will experience victory after victory after victory because this is the victory that overcomes this world, our faith. And by the Holy Spirit, we are living people in the land of death. We are tasting right now what it's like to be in the land of living because we're not giving up. Keep on going because that's who you are and that is your destiny. Let's pray. Jesus, what a privilege to be here. Thank you for allowing me to experience deep suffering so that I can encourage others who are experiencing deep suffering. Thank you that it's true that everything sad that we experience in this life will be reversed in the land of the living. That's our hope. But God, what we need right now is for you to come through for us. Some of us have been waiting a long time and we don't know if we can hold on much longer. And so Jesus, would you give us the breakthrough that we are looking for in your time, for your honor and for your glory? And would we be the type of people who are faithful to you, who make a renewed commitment to you, who don't give up easily, who have some grit and some determination in our faith so that we can see your face? God, as we worship together, would you give us a glimpse of your beauty? The one thing we're asking for you is that we could see your face. We need a glimpse of your glory in this dark and sad reality that we find ourselves in, this nightmare of a life. Show us yourself, and that is enough for us. In Jesus' name.